0: Hello, and welcome to In Unison, the podcast about new choral music and the conductors, composers, and choristers who create it. We are your hosts. I am Zane Fiala, Artistic Director of the International Orange Chorale of San
1: Francisco. And I'm Giacomo Grigoli, a tenor in IOCSF, the Golden Gate Men's Chorus, and the San Francisco Symphony Chorus. And this is... In
2: Unison!
0: Yeah! I like being in unison! Hey everyone! Today's episode of In Unison continues our mini series of discussions with composers to be featured on IOCSF's upcoming concert program, Freshly Squeezed. The performances will take place on December 4th in Berkeley and December 18th in San Francisco. And for more information on those concerts, please visit IOCSF.org. Our conversation today is with San Francisco Conservatory grad and IOCSF alum, Brian Lynn, about his new composition, It's Just Weather, which sets a text Brian crafted from the quotes of politicians denying climate change. One thing we can't deny, though, is how grateful we are to the generous people who are helping to support the creation of this podcast. We couldn't have made it this far without our generous donors, so today we're giving a shout-out to two friends of mine and Giacomo's, Ben Vayum and Ellie Powers. Thanks so much for the support! If you would like to help support In Unison, please visit inunisonpodcast.com donate. Now, before we get into the conversation with Brian, let's take a listen to one of his compositions this piece is called i'm so excited and was a collaboration between brian and his dear friend and soprano naomi Kalumna. you can read all about the piece on brian's website and we'll definitely include a link in the show notes but to give you an idea of the inspiration for the piece here is a quote from brian the title i'm so excited comes from a familiar phrase so frequently used for the sake of self-promotion Naomi and I chose to research the online presence of various celebrities, colleagues, and friends, and we discovered a new perspective on how we view society's way of interacting online and the array of emotions experienced from both perspectives of self-promotion. It's a reminder of how art can give us the capacity to reflect on seemingly trivial things. Written for soprano, flute, and bass clarinet, and premiered at the San Francisco Conservatory of Music in May of 2019, here is I'm So Excited, performed by soprano Naomi Kolumna, with Sung Joon on flute, and Davis Hampton on bass clarinet. Okay, joining us today on In Unison is composer and conductor Brian Lin. Brian first came across the IOCSF radar when he entered a composer competition we had surrounding our 2017 Freshly Squeezed program, and his composition took third place. And it wasn't long after that, he joined the chorus as a singer. In his compositions, Brian uses political and social commentary to smear the boundaries of musical genres and traditions, exploring the complexity of the human condition and seeking beauty in unconventional places. Subject matters for recent works have ranged from climate change denial, which we'll talk about in a minute, to the vanity of self-promotion on social media. Brian has collaborated with a number of artists and ensembles, including Musaics of the Bay, Gorilla Composers Guild, Choral Chameleon, soprano Naomi Kalumna, San Francisco Choral Artists, and many more. He is also an established conductor of choral and instrumental music, and unsurprisingly has an affinity for contemporary works. Brian received his B.A. in Music, as well as his B.S. in Mechanical Engineering from Lehigh University, and his Master's in Composition from the San Francisco Conservatory of Music, where he studied with David Garner. He has also studied composition with Paul Salerni, David Conti and Steven Samets. Outside of music, Brian aspires to be a part-time comedian and the starting pitcher for his intramural softball team. He also spends too much time thinking about what it would be like to compete on the reality TV show Survivor. Brian, welcome to In Unison. Thanks so much for being here.
3: Hey guys, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: Right, it's it's so good to see you. We always start with an icebreaker. And what's funny is, um, last week, we chatted with Michael T. Roberts, and I had a question about being on a reality TV show and which one it would be. So (laughs) now I know you would be on Survivor. (laughs) That's
3: right. If anyone from CBS is listening, um, please uh, be on the lookout for my application whenever I get around to doing that.
1: <laughs> I feel like you'd be really good in the immunity challenges. I feel like you'd find a way to like survive the whole game and outwit people. Thank
3: you, everyone <laughs> who looks at my wiry frame assumes that will be like the biggest weakness for me. So I appreciate your confidence in my uh, physical abilities.
1: <laughs> well, speaking of your physical abilities, we actually do have a specific icebreaker for you that we wanted to ask um in addition to your your uh survivor skills um If you could be in the Guinness Book of World Records, what record breaking feat would you attempt
3: I'd, i would, I'd want it to be something uh really silly and uh absurd uh something that's not has like no like v l life utility so i'd I'd say something like um most marshmallows fit in my mouth um at once um i i know that i don't hold a candle to anyone who i've actually played this game with um which i did it once on a camp out um and i only got to like six when my fan had like twice that of me but <laughs> i think that'd be um you know it'd be a great story of like how i almost choked and uh um a great claim to f- claim to fame
1: <laughs> this is the this is the chubby bunny game, right? Where you yes, stuff your yes, you know it. Chubby that's bunny, that's the one.
2: <laughs>
1: I'm surprisingly not very good at it, considering how much I can eat in general. I marshmallows in my mouth, but tough one. It's a tough one, man. I I'd be there seven competing in there
0: with there last you. night. Wait.
2: What?
1: What? <laughs> They were minis. They were minis. It was for Coco. So there you go. Right, yeah, exactly. (laughs) I'm dainty, Zane. How dare you? I'm sorry.
0: (laughs) I was referring to myself, by the way.
1: Oh. (laughs) Well, Brian, it's it's good to see you. Uh, we do miss you at Iocsf, and um, I miss you guys too. Uh, Brian, for those who don't know, Brian recently moved to New York from San Francisco, so we we do miss you very much. And um, speaking of your your journey, let's talk a little bit about your composer's journey. Um, we're thrilled to be working on your your piece for this upcoming Freshly Squeezed concert. But tell us, maybe Brian, a little bit
3: about why did you choose to become a composer. Um, yeah, I'd say I got a late start compared to a lot of my friends. Um, I was 20, uh, I was a junior in undergrad when I first started composing. Um, I, I guess I'd have to preface by saying that my career in music, um, had a very roundabout way, uh, similar to a lot of people. Uh, I went to school for not music initially. I went to Lehigh for, uh, to study mechanical engineering. Um, a lot of, um, met, um, there's a lot of like discussions with my family about what I would do for my uh, career when I was like, you know, applying to go to college. Um, and music was something I really wanted to do. But, um, you know, I grew up a band kid. Um, I was pretty good at the clarinet and the saxophone uh, making, you know, um, honors bands and all that. Um, but it wasn't like really like, in a, it was clear to a lot, a lot of my teachers uh, and myself that I wasn't going to become like a star. I was never going to be in the New York Phil. So I kind of conceded that. Um, but when I went to Lehigh, I decided I wanted to just, you know, do the double major because I could. And I originally declared that major in jazz performance in um, uh, saxophone. Um, and even my teacher then, I remember um, him telling me that it was going to be, you know, just reminding me how difficult that career is going to be and, you know, reminding me how what a um, what a great Um, how many great engineers uh, and business students that come out of lehigh Um, and then fast forward to a few years later when i started uh composing i decided to change my my concentration to uh theory and composition and that's where something really started to click for me and i really started to um i had a lot of the um the so-called like intuition and, and smarts for music that didn't really translate to being in an orchestra or being a, a, a star soloist um and that's where composing really like kind of you know let my ego shine <laughs> for for lack of a, a better thing i was very aware of like this is a very egotistical thing but i something about this that resonates with me and um by the time i was a senior uh, my that same sax teacher i was talking about, uh, Dave Rickenberg. Uh, who's a New York, a great New York um, saxophonist. Um, I always ta- tell people this story because it's so influential, and he's been so influential uh, in my non non-comp- non compositional career. But having taught me for four years, um, he we spent a whole lesson just talking about my career and what I wanted to do uh, in engineering or whatever it was, and he. Um, after seeing all the the, the crazy things and, and and ambitions that I had in music, um, you said, you know, having gone from telling me to um, stick with engineering, he three years later was telling me, fuck the engineering stuff. I don't care what it is you do, but I want I you really ought to be going to grad school for music at some point. I don't care if what's what degree it's in, but um, music is your music is your shit. Um, and that really kind of affirmed my desires to uh, become a composer, uh, ironically, not from my composition teacher, but uh, and then, yeah, I started having more conversations um with my uh, my composition teacher at the time, Paul Salerni, uh, who studied who himself studied with Earl Kim, and he talks he usually uses um anecdotes from his uh, you know studies with Earl, saying like um, that composer composes because they. Uh, can't see themselves doing anything else because uh, it's a miserable life, and it's the life that I've chosen, um, and I don't regret it ever. When's the first
1: time that you got that little dopamine hit of like writing something and then seeing it go out in the world, you where you're like, oh, I wrote that, that's mine, I did that.
3: Yeah, I think the um, that that junior year when I started taking like this like intro uh, workshop, um, just having like small little uh, miniatures played uh, and. and writing something new every week um kind of just like seeing the um receiving the affirmation from my mentor um but the gratitude of seeing it come to life um and having someone else like embrace it that was a you know you know that little tiny dopamine hit is you know i think it's a good description of what that feels like
1: Uh, zane mentioned at the at the Top of the episode in your bio that you're also a conductor. Have you ever had the opportunity to conduct one of your own pieces?
3: Yeah, I try to put myself on the podium with my own music as often as I can. Um, I really appreciate the opportunity to kind of cut out the middleman, kind of workshopping your own piece um, and having like kind of kind of being unleashing my inner Leonard Bernstein and being able to um, have like full autonomy of what's going on in rehearsal. Um, the most memorable version of that happening was rehearsing for my, uh, my grad recital at SFCM. I was already going to conduct the choral pieces on that program, but there was another, um, double string quartet that I wrote, you know, for eight string players, um, that was not supposed to be conducted, but, um, it was a very difficult piece that, um, ended up benefiting a lot from my conducting. So, uh, that whole recital, all the ensemble pieces ended up being conducted by, by myself and, um, it was a hugely rewarding experience that um, kind of affirmed my, by the time I was graduating, my finishing my master's, I was just kind of committed to wanting to do the composer-conductor uh, career route um, how, in whatever form that would turn out to be.
1: Speaking of having that opportunity to sort of um, conduct your own pieces, sometimes you don't, in fact. Um, uh, I want to talk about a piece of yours uh, called Strings in the Earth and Air which was a piece that was performed at another freshly Squeezed program. programs in 2017. In fact, it was the third place winner in that year's competition. Um, we've mentioned in the program that we've had several singers in IRC that are also composers and that we've had the great opportunity to perform those works. So what's it like for you when you are just, a, you know, you're just a part of the choir and you're not conducting your pieces. What do you learn about your pieces when you have that opportunity to sit back and, and sort of watch somebody else conduct? And to
0: clarify this piece for our audience, this piece that we're talking about, uh, Brian wasn't yet in the ensemble, but you came to a rehearsal, if I yes. remember correctly, at least one, maybe two uh, rehearsals and sat back and listened. And you and I powwowed a few times during rehearsal. I remember that distinctly.
3: Right. Um, and that was a, that was a great uh, opportunity that you guys provided for me. And when, when other people are playing my music, I have found that being hands-off really pays more dividends and just being uh, a very receptive listener and um, not trying to never trying to be insistent on um, what your sound is and being flexible with what the performer uh, how they want to interpret it. Um, Any music that only has one way of being performed. um, I I don't know. I just don't I I try not to uh, have that ego in my music to think that um, my way or the highway I've learned through, through trial and error that you know uh, there've been many times I've like interrupted a rehearsal uh, early in my career and you know I've just been like chewed out or or uh, <laughs> embarrassed myself and um, it, you know it's always better to um, to just listen um, and kind of just appreciate what uh, what other people are trying to do and interpret your music.
0: Oh, that's a good little life lesson right there. We need the the more you know star going up and over <laughs> us. Doo, 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 doo.
3: And I also tend to make it a habit because of that to, uh, if there's like a really like tough piece uh, that's being rehearsed, um, I practice this with when I'm conducting other people's music, but I always try to encourage the composer to, to not be at the first rehearsal. Uh, I think that's a really useful thing that I, um, I've learned through other people.
0: Brian, would you say that your jazz background played into Strings in the Earth and Air um, in the way that you wrote it?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I was, at that time, I was only recently starting to let my jazz voice come into my music. Um, And I think immensely, even more now so, like uh, more recently than ever, jazz is important in the, you know, the Western canon and my own voice. Um, But in this piece, this is kind of like my expression of, you know, um, when I talk about counterpoint in jazz, I always tell people it's no different than studying classical counterpoint. The same rules apply and the harmony that was um, made by, you know, that the principles Bach defined for us, um, those same rules um, apply. And so when you're writing choral music, uh, if you want to be jazzy, you know, it's the same, it's all, it's just music, baby. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> yes it is.
1: What advice uh and speaking of uh, giving sort of gems of wisdom here, what advice might you have for
3: somebody who's considering a submission to IOCSF's uh, freshly squeezed program? Anytime you know the ensemble who's going to end up performing the the piece. Um listen to what you think they do well and submit what you think fits their voice. Um so I've applied to several competitions um to choirs that i know don't really jive with my with my voice and they don't i i I see who the winners end up being and um and many of them i'll recognize and i see like you know it's pretty clear i'm not their cup of tea and that's fine um so i was very fortunate that this piece uh aligned with what i come to know ioc to do very well and at the end of the day um if you have pieces in your in your repertoire um and there's a call for scores that, you know, you already have it in your, in your catalog, you know, why not just submit it and just apply for as, as much shit as you, as you want.
0: Let's listen to Brian's winning piece now. This is Strings in the Earth and Air performed by IOCSF. Strings.
1: let's talk about another of your pieces that actually went through a very different process in, in coming to life. Uh, a piece you worked on at the Coral Chameleon Institute with our friend Vince Peterson. Uh, a piece titled, I Miss You, which is a series of text message fragments uh, between two X's. And before we we move forward, just let's just note that this piece is not autobiographical. So this is some text, Brian, that you found, uh, which I thought was very, very interesting. And while it's, it may not be autobiographical, I, we'll, we'll play it for folks on, on the episode. I'm sure we can all Relate to some degree to the emotions that are behind, but that are behind these texts. So maybe tell us a little bit about the raw texts of this piece and how you sort of started playing with these
3: um, text message fragments and turned it into a piece. So this piece was written in 2017. I just finished grad school and I was attending Coral Chameleon Summer Institute, uh, which I've attended twice. this one summer. That summer in 2017, I was there for a composer, and I returned another year for uh, to do the conducting track. Day 1 Vince is telling everyone like um you know this is a this is an opportunity for you to challenge yourself and and do something daring um and you know our singers are are very into it and I came in with a separate text um a poem written by a friend that um I had gotten stuck just trying to come up with like um, sketches for this for that text but I wanted to come into the week with with nothing firmly written in stone. And so my first lesson with my uh, who was going to be my mentor for the week, my first lesson was coming up in a few hours that afternoon. Um, and uh I had a sudden impulse to ditch my text, um, which is something I I frequently um, you know, I would frequently just ditch my first sketches um the day after I would write them. Um, and I thought about you know other things that uh would interest me one piece i had known for a while is uh gabriel kahane's craigslist leader are you guys familiar with it oh yeah yeah so that there's he's not the only person nor the first to like take text like that and for those of you who don't know it's it's a, a setting uh, it's a song cycle where he sets absurd craigslist ads uh for for voice and piano i was i, was, I had always been inspired by that and so i had felt a sudden impulse to, to try to find something similar to that. So I started typing into Google um, drunk texts and Google auto-suggested from exes. Um, so I just started going through these and these immediately resonated with me. I mean, they were just hilarious and I just felt it really fitted in with my, my personality. And I thought there was something also really wholesome or um, heart, like, heartbreaking in a wholesome way. Um, I mentioned my program note for this piece the week before I flew out to New York, um, I was riding the SF Muni, and I heard um, a homeless man on the phone, like you know, talking on the phone to what it was his girlfriend or his partner, and he kept saying things like, "I I I DM'd you on Instagram, and you ignored me. And why do you do this to me?" And he was just having this very intimate, aggressive conversation with everyone, um, with uh, with everyone hearing. Just on on the bus and and so when I went back to these texts that I found on online, um, I felt like there was something really um really powerful to to attempt here um, and this really fit in with my my personality um you know I, I liked you know I've always had a reputation for being for doing ballsy things uh and I didn't, certainly didn't want to shy away from the opportunity to shock people with it. I wanted to shock people uh, with something, especially given the kind of the the creative nature that this creative uh, spirit that was being fostered at the Chameleon Institute. I love this piece, by the way, like wa- actually watching the performance of it. So I want to I
1: include the video when we do this episode. Too.
3: The humorous aspect of the inherent humor in the piece really opened up a lot for me. Um, and I, it allowed me to really embrace an authentic side of myself that my music hadn't seen yet. So while This piece has, uh, you know, some issues with it that I, uh, there there are things I would tweak, but it's done and, and, and I really enjoyed working on it and I really, uh, enjoy the fact that other people like it. So, um, you know, I, I love it for its imperfections and what it's taught me about being my authentic self, because, um, I like to, you know, I like to be funny, um, as I say, so very dryly (laughs) <laughs> um, but um, this piece really uh, you know, allowed me to, uh, to embrace that.
1: I have to tell you, your sense of humor came through to me crystal clear, both in this piece um, and in the piece that we're going to be premiering at Freshly Squeezed called It's Just Weather. Um, both of those pieces, actually, both um, uh, I Miss You and uh, It's Just Weather, both of them, I think, have this really you play with these these text fragments, which is great, but they both have this hilarious sense of humor. Um, and I think um, when I first read through it, I, I definitely got that sort of dark comedy. There's a little bit of it that's sort of like you're you're poking fun, but you use humor in a very specific way. Um, like you sort of take these dark or complex things and you apply a layer of absurdity to them to sort of convey your, or empathy. And my first question was going to be, am I perceiving that correctly? But it sounds like based on your stand-up comedy and sort of what you've just said, like that is sort of something that is underlying that. So what's, how do you interpret that when you, when you think about that, how to apply a sense of humor, the text is one thing, but how do you apply that, that sense of humor in your compositional gestures?
3: You know, it's something that I don't think about too much. Um, It's for, you know, if, for example, let's say I'm writing a piece about anxiety, uh, which I currently am doing. Um, what does the sound of anxiety sound like? And I don't I don't think there is a specific sound to that. Um, I mean, there are programmatic things you can incorporate, um, but those are really dictated by what other people have set the precedent for it to sound like. So if you are writing honestly and authentically, that will come through in your music. And so I don't try to put anything like, you know, I really de-emphasize the t- the timing of the humor or humorous musical elements. Um, I just take a, a melody like "I miss you all the time" and take that same for like, you know rearrange it like "I have never met a more sad person than you." You know, part of my singing, but you know that, that just like came very like those fragments just came very natural to me. I, I wrote them. In about thirty minutes, and then I brought it to my uh, to my lesson, which was with Rex Eisenberg, actually, who I know has been on this show. And Mm -hmm. um, shout out to Rex, good friend Um, and his his great release with Coral Chameleon.
1: We should probably also step back and let folks know. So it's just weather, which is the piece that we'll be premiering. Um, The text fragments that are in it is actually um, it's it's funny because when you if you just sort of pick up the text and you don't sort of listen to the music or sing through it, you'd think it's something quite serious. It's texts from politicians denying climate change. Basically, it's just sort of lines like, "Oh, it's it's just weather," and I forget what some of the other lines are. But there's there's an absurdity inherent, I think, in what they're saying. Um, and then you just, in my, in my opinion, you you take that volume up to eleven, the absurdity up to eleven. What pieces do you think of? You know, when you when you think about sort of humor, compositional humor, are there things that sort of come to mind? Are there inspirations for you that are uh, that come to mind when you think of like humor in your pieces?
3: You know, that's a great question, and. I actually don't think of many, don't, m- not many examples come to mind of like humor and music because it's extremely hard and I don't claim to be doing it well or, or poorly. It's just, this is my own uh, like interpretation of, of it. I mentioned Gabriel Kahane in um, Craigslist Leader, which is um, um, was obviously very influential in letting me break into my humorous side with music. Um, you know, I think about you know composers like you know Shostakovich were were great with with humor in their music, but in a in a in a very like um, meta way. Very political, uh, very pointed you know, too. What's the Shostakovich
1: exactly. signature? What's the thing that he tries to the embed and everything?
3: Dsch. Yes. Uh, but no, I don't. I don't. I don't really think of any um, influences in my humor. Um, this is just me being dry af and uh, letting it speak for itself. So I remember, you know, a lot of people like saying, you know, encouraging in my lessons, you know, when I show these to some of my teachers, show these pieces to my teachers, um, they're like, you know, well, what's the theater of of this piece, you know, what are the theatrical elements? And I'm like, I really just want to write, set music to it. And um, I think the text says so much um, with any, Any music that involves text, what we're trying to do with vocal music is always take a text, add music to it, and create something that's greater than the sum of its parts. And so that's why I don't really like to work with poetry anymore. I have like this insecurity of like taking something that is already beautiful on its own, and what do I have to add to it? Um, You know, and sometimes you know, usually I just kind of like maybe it's a little pessimistic, but my my answer is usually not much to add to it Um, not to say i'm never going to work with poetry again but uh, i just you know want to do something things that were more fun uh for me um and i think composers to maybe think about um talk about answer your question about influences maybe not humorous influences but composers who do a lot of like what i aspire to do you know ted hearn uh takes a lot of like political commentary or non-traditional text sources that are just like from found sources uh, and you know, when, you, when we talk about it's just weather, I mean, I'm going to um, throw some virtual royalties his way or metaphorical royalties to say, like, you know, I ripped off a lot of uh, one of his pieces, uh, which I won't say. Maybe those of you who are Ted Hearn fans will will recognize it. And another composer being uh, Chris Cerrone.
0: Another piece that we have on this program coming up is um, a piece called Can You See by Dr. Zeneda Robles, and it's a setting of, quote unquote, found texts similar to what uh, we're talking about here with It's Just Weather, um, where she set the... The words that were written on protest signs during the course of many different, um, you know, American protests that were happening between something like twenty eighteen or so, essentially since since Trump was <laughs> elected. But nonetheless, um, she, she, in the interview when we talked to her, she talked about how um, she kind of create created these motifs, these themes, these uh, melodic snippets that were attached to each snippet of text and then wove them all together to make this tapestry of music. Would you say that that's what you did with It's Just Weather as well, where you took segments of the text, wrote a musical theme that went for that, and then found ways to weave it together? Or is it more through composed?
3: Uh, with, with I Miss You, that's pretty much what I did. Um, and it's funny that you know, um, you know, Zainita does such a great job with... with that uh, when you introduced that piece to us Zane I was just like damn that's that's what I was that's what I've been trying to do this whole time there are a lot of people doing like what what dr Robles and, and I are doing with texts that kind of affirmed to me that this is a viable way to compose because I had insecurities about what I've been doing like structurally uh, I think I miss you has its biggest you know downfalls are it, it's it's you know you've asked me but like, is it to compose I'm like it's a thousand percent through composed just by the nature of how quickly I had to write it. Um, it sounds like a, you know, a text collage and or a collage music. And I've kind of like coined that term now. Like, I don't know if anyone else calls it that, but that's what I'm calling it. It's collage music and and she does it so well. Uh, and that's what I think I've done. Um, that's what I've been trying to do, um, with, with the, my, my latest choral piece. Um, it's just weather. So, yeah, we,
1: we talked about sort of this text collage. I love that idea. I um, or, or, or coined that. Brian Lynn text collage, period. <laughs> Registered <laughs> trademark. Registered trademark. Thank you. Um, and, and in this piece, uh, in, in it's just whether obviously you're talking about some, some serious topics, uh, uh, to climate, climate change is a sort of pretty heady topic. How did this text specifically come across your desk? Was this something that you were like, I want to write a piece about climate change? Or were you more just like hearing this ambiently and you were like, oh, my God, this is going to make a great composition?
3: Yeah. All of the above. I had wanted to write a piece about climate change for a while, and I knew specifically I wanted to um, set text of like uh, politicians or, and, and figures denying climate change. Um, in keeping with my ballsiness, I definitely wanted to poke the bear. Um, we keep hearing about this, uh, people denying climate change all the time. And I just keep thinking, how many fucking times do we have to go through this? Uh, why is this still up for debate? So rather than setting, you know, uh quotes from um climate activists like Greta Thunberg or Al Gore, I thought it was much more emotionally resonant to me to 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 really show everyone, like to, to highlight just the the arrogance uh that that and the audacity that some of these people have uh to to sabotage our future. Um so my approach with these texts are really data-ist. Um, and I think that's what's like really uh, beautiful, that you can take something really meaningless to you and try to put art to it, try to set it to art.
1: I, I, would, I would love to commission, frankly, if, if, you're, if you're taking commissions, I would love to commission a cantata from Marjorie Taylor Greene, which I imagine is just going to be six minutes of senseless shrieking. <laughs> if, sort of very John Cage-esque something. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Brian, do you have a a favorite part of it's just whether like is there a moment in the piece where it, like you just you're like oh, I I just love this moment how well it came out either musically or just you really like that snippet of the text or you felt like it really lent itself well is there a moment in the piece like that?
3: There are two parts that come to mind. Um, the ending, I was really proud of. Um, I thought I really just like brought it all together and just really repeating the words, like, it's very cold outside. It's very, very cold. So very, very cold. Um, I really thought, uh, I was very proud of just the, the um, staying consistent with the harmonic language, which I was insecure, like, is it too Is it is it too repetitive? Uh, but here I really like doubled down and felt it paid off and uh, they're very like um, haunting, try to make it a very haunting ending. Um, and then the middle section, uh, which is actually something I revised heavily in the year since the original performance was canceled or postponed. Uh, it took me a very long time. I spent more time on it than I wanted to, but was um, more, even more proud of the final product as a result of it. And I hope you guys in, uh, are appreciative of the, uh, the efforts. But there is a section where I take the text. It's not only fake news, it's fake science. And it gets stated once, but then I... Re- uh, if it turns again and it's kind of like the lower voices uh, start chanting it in a repetitive, like uh, in a repetitive way, that's almost mob, like, and that's very intentional to make it mob, like, and they start layering in a, um, I would say that's the, that's the Ted Hearn influence there that I was um, was really proud of.
0: Is that the moment when the soprano line has that, Crazy melody that the sopranos are cursing your name a little bit over at the moment. <laughs>
3: are they? Oh, good. <laughs> ah,
0: that was the Don't. best reaction ever, right there. Oh, they are. Oh, good. Yeah, that's a that's a heck of a line in the soprano part uh, yeah. in that moment, and we've we've worked it a few times. It's really very fascinating the way it's kind of built around this fully diminished seven melody. At least that's how it came across to me.
3: If I recall correctly, it's more melodic melodic minor uh so that kind of like kind of hones it in if you kind of i gotta look at the score again but there's a the way i audiated it i never write anything i don't hear at least for vocal music because i just think that's a good practice um so i think there is a clear tonal center which i think kind of helps them helps ground themselves which is my justification for being very disjunct with the melody um kind of embracing the you know some text painting it's trying to so, what does hysteria and fear sound like to me? Because those are the texts with all the hysteria and all the fear. Right? Could this be the greatest hoax ever? Mm-hmm. Brian, are there uh,
1: looking for? Are there any projects you're currently working on that you can share with us? Anything you're you're excited about right now?
3: Yeah, um, a lot of things are very much in the works. Um, there is an ensemble I'm trying to start. Um, that I'm starting with my friends in San Francisco. Um, ironically, right after I move, um, but it's my excuse to try to be bi-coastal. Um but I've had aspirations to do something that add something to the um to the to the musical canon uh or address the musical canon uh in a meaningful way uh and doing the music that that we want um I look at ensembles that really uh inspire me such as, such as um you know wild up uh a bang on a can um eighth blackbird uh these ensembles that are um really promoting music that breaks down um social and you know genre barriers um i feel like so much of classical music is you know infiltrated by the elitism and expectations from um from you know the the white western classical european canon there's so much room for intersection of, uh, and different ways to interpret that. So there are all these other groups that are doing something similar, but there's creative space for all of us. And, um, you know, I have a very unique group of instrumentalists that are, that are my friends. I didn't think about the instrumentation. I wanted to talk about the friends I wanted to work with, uh, and kind of like, um, I was kind of just tired of waiting for, you know, for one, my own career to take off, you know, and also getting the music that I wanted to have done, you know, so promoting my friend's music, and and doing the things I wanted to do artistically uh while making a statement on on the concert scene. Yeah. Uh so I hope you'll be hearing about this at some point uh soon, but it's still very much in its infancy. Um, another long-term project that I am really uh fired up about is uh I want to write my first opera. Um but I have uh and I I've you know I've wanted to write an opera for a while uh, but I just didn't know what the Inspiration or the libretto would Uh, be—I finally have the idea for a libretto that uh, is—I just need to find the librettist um, to collaborate with. But uh, this is very much like a keeping in line with some of the music we've talked about today. Um, There was like this—it's a—it's a—I want it to be like an opera about like social anxiety uh, and just the the very real and humorous things that result out of that. There is a real life experience where. the short version of it is I accidentally invited myself to a party I wasn't invited to. And just you know, thinking about the shena- the shenanigans that ensued afterwards and how did I try to get myself out of it, and you know, who did I try to drag along with me? Um and I'm just uh I think there's a lot of potential for that. That kind of also thought, you know, speaking of institutions that are so entrenched in the, the tradition, I want to kind of take my uh take my turn at seeing what uh what can we change about what can we do different about opera um but also just you know writing something that speaks to me and um,
0: yeah. yeah that brings to mind nathan hall's uh opera his kink opera right yes
3: yeah, yeah i just finished that episode a few oh. few days ago oh
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> awesome yeah he was fascinating really enjoyed talking to him um, <clears throat> where can, uh, folks find you and your music online, Brian?
3: My website, brianlinmusic.com. And uh, I'm on Instagram, but yeah, my website is the, the best place to go.
0: Awesome. And we'll put, of course, a link to that in our show notes. Well, we definitely hope to see you at, uh, at an, one of the IOC Freshly Squeezed concerts when we premiere um, It's Just Weather. It's been an adventure learning the piece, and um, I'm really excited to put it together. I think it's brilliantly composed, and um, it does exactly what you've described its uh, purpose to be, which is to make us think about climate change, but also to remember that the people who are, who are speaking out against it are kind of, well, for lack of a better word,
3: dumb. <laughs> whatever you decide to take out of it, you know? Yeah, exactly.
0: It's left up to our interpretation. I love it. <laughs> Maybe we'll get the whole choir to um, bring snowballs to the concert and throw oh, them gosh. at the audience.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: great. Um, Brian, thanks so much for taking the time to tell us about your uh, your journey as a composer and also your, your pieces um, that... Feature these text snippets. It's just really interesting. And I think it's a cool, uh, newish um, compositional style that uh, you've definitely glommed onto and done a great job with. So um, we look forward to performing those pieces and we thank you for being on the show. It's been great.
3: Thank you so much. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what you do with my piece. And I'm uh, honored again to, to be on this podcast, which I'm, as you know, a big fan, uh, really appreciative of the work that you guys are doing. Well, thanks. We'll talk to you soon. All right. All right. Good to see you, Brian.
0: Let's finish off today's episode with one of the pieces we were discussing earlier in which Brian's dry sense of humor comes through spectacularly. Here is I Miss You, performed by Coral Chameleon. Oh. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the In Unison Podcast.
1: Be sure to check out episode extras and subscribe at inunisonpodcast.com. You can follow us on all social media at
0: inunisonpod.
1: And leave us a review on Apple Podcasts to let us know what you think.
0: Baroque tuning confirmed by Chorus Dolores, who thinks, well, knows. You're a few cycles flat. In Unison is produced and recorded by Mission Orange Studios. Our transcripts have been diligently edited by IOCSF member and friend of the pod, Fausto Daos. And our theme music is Mr. Puffy, written by Avi Bortnik, arranged by Paul Kim, and performed by the Danish vocal jazz ensemble, Dynamic, on their debut album, This Is Dynamic. Special thanks to Paul Kim for permission. Please be sure to check them out at www.dynamicjazz.dk.